On this episode, I'm joined by the brilliant three-time Emmy nominee and two-time winner, Nina Erb. Nina's perhaps best known for her work on HBO's Insecure, which received three Emmy nominations this year, and you guessed it, another one for Nina. This one for outstanding single-camera picture editing for a comedy series. This nom is for her work on Season 5, Episode 8's Choices, Okay? At a crossroads in her career, Issa weighs the pros and cons of two viable paths while simultaneously contemplating an important personal next step. These multiple paths for Issa gave Nina the opportunity to explore some innovative and truly clever ways to assemble this narrative. Nina previously won the same category for Insecure's low-key trying, season 4, episode 9, when the series last aired two years ago. I recommend you pause here and check out those two episodes right now. They are perfect examples, rather a masterclass in editing. Philip Seymour Hoffman once said, The film is made in the editing room. The shooting of the film is about shopping, almost. It's like going to get all the ingredients together, and you've got to make sure before you leave the store that you've got all the ingredients. Then you take those ingredients and you make a good cake or not. It's true. In almost all categories of storytelling, the thing we fall in love with the most, as a consumer, was usually masterfully chiseled and refined by the editor. Actually, this quote by Orson Welles sums it up better, I think. The notion of directing a film is the invention of critics. The whole eloquence of cinema is achieved in the editing room. Before we jump into the conversation, I wanted to share one last thing. As Nina so eloquently spoke in her 2020 Emmy acceptance speech, none of us are going to remember who won this award a week from now. But being an immigrant and a woman of color, I'll always remember that Issa Rae made sure I had to see at the table. One of my favorite quotes when I was reading about your bio is that your father wanted you to be a doctor and your mother wanted you to be a pianist in the L.A. Philharmonic, but you wanted to be Andy Warhol. <laughs> Uh, he's one of my favorite artists of all time. And I was actually really curious, uh, about that statement. Why an artist and why Andy Warhol? You know, when I was growing up, he just seems like larger than life and just so like did whatever the hell he wanted. And, you know, he was into photography. He did prints. He did, he made movies about a big toe. I mean, like he just was so quirky and, you know, what I liked about him and I, and I couldn't articulate it when I was, you know, like, I don't know, 10 years old, but I, I like that he didn't define himself by one medium, you know, he just made art. And so I, I love that about him. And, and so I was like, yes, I, I want to be just like that. I just want to make cool shit. <laughs> so when, as you're looking at like wanting to become an artist and that innovation, how did you connect the dots to becoming, you know, the, the storyteller that you are today with the editing background? Like, how did you get from A to B? It was actually, uh, I guess, by accident. Um, you know, I went to art school, I have an art degree. And after you graduate with an art degree, I'm, you know, what do you do, right? You try to sell some paintings, you get commissions, but, you know, it was, uh, it was, just wasn't sustainable. So um, a friend of mine was like, hey, come work with, you know, with me in the art department. And um, I was like, okay, that's kind of close, right? But then I bounced around and, and realized that, you know, being in the art department, it was incredible. I mean, these production designers and, and set decorators are just so talented, but it was more similar to architecture um, rather than, you know, like creating like a piece of art. And so I was like, okay, this is not, it's, I love it, but it's not the right fit. And I kept bouncing around. I, you know, was a set PA for a little while as a second AD and <laughs> did a lot of different things. And finally, eventually I was a script supervisor 
And, you know, everybody was like, well, what do you want to do next? Do you want to be an editor? Do you want to be a director? I was like, well, I know I don't want to be a director, but I don't know what this editing thing is, but it sounds really depressing. Like you're just in a dark room by yourself. I don't know. So I kind of brushed it off and, um, you know, fast forward a few years later, I was working at the um, Oxygen Network before they launched. And, uh, you know, it was it was a very lean crew because they were just trying to get this whole entire new network started. And so everybody did a, wore a lot of hats. And one of my other hats, in addition to being a script supervisor, was associate producer. And I got to work with an editor. And uh, that was when I realized wow, editing is not anything like I ever imagined. I mean, it was so incredibly creative. You you can craft these stories, you can shape characters, you can change a tone if you want, you know? And yeah, the editor I was working with just really completely blew my mind. And once I saw, you know, the, the creativity and the power that you have as an editor in, you know, just the creation of the story, I, I, I was, I was like, sign me up, I'm done. You know, that was it. Like I have found what I was meant to do. <laughs> Your, your career is interesting. You've done scripted and you've done unscripted. Uh, do you have a preferred bucket or do you like playing in both? Oh, um, you know, I, I am lucky that I can play in both, but I think I uh, much preferred uh, being in the scripted genre. It seems very collaborative. And I assume that from your time on Insecure, like working there, like, can you tell me a little bit about how that project came, how that came to you and, you know, uh, what your initial thoughts were when it did? and what the collaboration process was like. Oh, absolutely, yeah, yeah. Um, I was uh, I was working on Being Mary Jane at the time, um, and uh, I remember getting a call saying, hey, are you available? Um, you know, this is, um, and we have to go backwards a little bit. Um, the executive that called me about Insecure initially, I met uh, on another show uh, that I worked on for BET. And I remember thinking, well, yeah, I'd love, I'd love Insecure. I would love to work on it, it's a great show. But I couldn't because I had just inked a deal to work on Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Oh, wow. <laughs> I couldn't do it. <laughs> so I was like, okay, well, uh, hopefully you'll have a season three and hopefully you'll remember me and call me back. And, you know, and then I kind of went on to the other show and I never forgot about it. Of course, I was always hoping that there would be another seat open. Um, and, uh, you know, to my incredible luck, it, there was. Uh, season three came around. They called to see if I was available again. And I was like, Yes. Absolutely. They're like, do you want to drive to Manhattan Beach? I'm like, I don't care if you want me to drive to San Francisco. <laughs> I'm doing the show. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the show was just so special to me because, you know, where it's set, it's set in South LA and it's where we immigrated to when we first came to the country. And so I had always known that area to be a little different than how it's been portrayed, right, in movies and television. And um, so, so for me, when that show premiered, I just remember thinking, okay, this is great. This is finally people are seeing this community in the same light that I saw, you know, that these are beautiful people that completely, you know, welcomed us as immigrants. And, you know, we were like fresh off the plane and they were like, Hey, wow. <laughs> they completely just rallied around us. And so, so it was a, it was a beautiful community and, um, you know, and I love that the show shine a light on that. Um, so for me, it, it held a really special meaning. But after, you know, being on it for multiple seasons, of course, you develop a shorthand with Issa and Prentice and all the filmmakers. And they're, they're phenomenal. You know, not only are they talented, they're kind and they're supportive. And, and they really set an environment that allowed you to experiment and create, you know, uh, with your punishment. Right. <laughs> That's amazing. And it sounds like it had a really great, great culture. 
And from the moment you came on, was that the beginning of, I mean, were they still in the writer's room that you're, you're coming on at that point? Um, it was a season three. I think they were almost done with the writer's room. Um, I came on board just about a couple weeks before they started shooting. There was a lot of um, table reads, tone meetings. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, came on right at the start of season three. So when you talk, you had a note about uh, trying new things. Is there, was there a moment in the room where like, I really want to try something and that you, you had that win that you're really excited to actually be able to execute it and show like this, uh, we should take a risk here and it paid off. <laughs> yes. Um, it was actually season three. It was my last uh, episode for the season. And I remember thinking like, okay, we can, there's an opportunity here. It was, I don't know if you remember the episode, but it was, uh, Isa was kind of obsessing over Nathan. They had just met, he kind of ghosted her. So she was, you know, stalking him on Instagram and, and whatnot. And um, so I kind of saw that there's an opportunity to try something different. And, you know, normally the social media graphics are shown, like if this is Issa, it's shown on next to her. Um, and I thought, okay, well, that's great too. You know, that's certainly fits in the style of the show. Said, but what if we did it so that we put you, the viewer, in her position and her point of view so that you can see the whole, like, it was, it was a while. Like I, I had explained this idea to my assistant editor who like shockingly didn't kick me out of her bay. She was like, okay, I'll, I'll try this. And she was able to recreate an Instagram page and different um, ways of um, for me to manipulate text so that it was like full screen and, and you know, and I could like animate it. And, um, and it really put you in her perspective. And I, and I thought that was super cool, but of course I still had the other version, right. That they were expecting to see just in case. And I thought, eh, you know what? It's my last episode. If they don't like it, they can fire me. But they ended up loving it. And it was amazing. <laughs> that's incredible. I mean, because I think that that's like a really, I think that's the, when I watch content right now, this, the engagement between an actor and their device is such a, you, is a tricky thing. And there's so much opportunity to innovate there. And what a smart idea. Because you're right. Like it's, we don't ever see that point of view. And that's cool. Well, congratulations. Thanks for Thank taking you. that risk because it paid off. It was amazing. <laughs> Approaching a project like this where there's a, it's scripted, are you trying to forecast episodes down the line or are you just taking in content with the script and like kind of do, working it real time? Oh, I'm always thinking ahead. Um, you have to, because sometimes that would inform like what happens maybe three episodes down the line might inform, you know, a particular performance that may not be obvious, you know, for you to choose. So, so yeah, I read every single script, um, you know, and I will, yeah, I, I always like to know like, where, where is she going? What's her journey? You know, like if I chose this take, what does that mean? It's like, Oh, okay. Well, and that it, it does propel it forward, but it's not as interesting, not as layered as if I would take this other take. So, so yeah, I'm, I, I do a lot of reading. <laughs> what do you, what do you find the most challenging part in, 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 in what you do. I was thinking about this the other day because someone asked me, you know, if I could change something about what I do, what would it be? I was like, I wish I can clone myself <laughs> because I, there's so much amazing content that's being made right now. It's like, I often find myself like, okay, I love this project, but I really want to work on that one too. You know? <laughs> and I think the nature of the job, you're there for so long. Um, it's impossible to do too. So, um, so yeah, I think that would probably be the hardest part of my job. Um, I mean, I mean not, all the other aspects of editing, the problem solving and, you know, putting a story together. I mean, I, I love all of it. And of course there's always challenges, but I think that's what makes the job interesting. 
of all those things, what is your favorite part of editing? I think it's the exploration during the dailies phase, um, finding little nuggets that could really you know, make a, a scene amazing. And, um, and then I love the collaboration with the directors and producers afterwards, um, you know, like working really hard with them to kind of like elevate the episode or the movie. And um, yeah, I, I, I just love all of it. <laughs> it sounds so silly, but it, I do. No, I mean, I, I totally, I, I get it. I absolutely get it. Is there uh in the last five years, has there been a moment, and this is, I think, that uh, every area that I've worked, that moment where like you don't have something that you need for a scene and you have to cheat it? Do you have something that comes to mind of like overcoming that hurdle? <laughs> yes, yes, all the time. <laughs> um, I mean, this is not an exact, uh, uh, not a direct example, but but similar. Um, in uh, the Emmy nominated episode, uh, there is a scene, the Mirror Issa scene, um, where our director, Kevin Bray, uh, mad genius that he is, he came up with this idea of shooting this um, in a way that's never been done before. So it was done as a oneer, both for Mirror Issa and Real Issa. So they would cross back and forth, but it's a oneer. So you can't ever cut away to anything. Um, and normally those scenes are cut so that it's similar, like a conversation, you can change angles, you can, you know, really control the pacing and, and the timing. And, uh, this one, you know, it was just, there were wonders and here's the thing. And, you know, Issa is an incredible actress. She's incredible. And the unfortunate thing was they never gave her playback of herself when she was playing near Issa. So she had nothing to perform off of. So then her pacing as real Lisa was just her pacing. And she was pacing it off of the second AD or wow. the first AD, um, which, you know, and, and this is an impossible situation to put anyone in. And so, of course, the performances would never line up. You know, they would either be talking at the same time if you stack them up or not talking, not responding for a very long time. So it just it never worked. But I just kind of sat there and looked at it for a really long time <laughs> and thought, okay, I'm going to try something crazy here. So I picked the take I wanted for both. Didn't matter if they matched up or not. I comped them together. And then what I did was I would find uh, places where either Mir Isa or real Isa would stop or pause long enough for me to either slow her way down and then speed her way back up so that she can respond to the other Isa and the end result was that it looked like they were both talking to each other in real time when they were not at all. Um, yeah. And, and if you look at the scene, you can't, you can't tell, which is kind of That's wild. crazy. Wow. That is insane. Uh, and what a great solution. I'm sure that had to be wildly meticulous. I mean, I, I can't imagine what that was like. It was, yeah. I, I remember I did it. I showed it to Kevin and he was like, great. It worked. <laughs> and I'm thinking, oh, you don't know what it took though. Um, but I didn't say anything. And then he was like, okay, cool. And then it went to the producers. And, I'm, and the whole time I'm holding my breath, like, please don't give me a note. Please don't give me a note. Because I don't know how I'm going to address it. <laughs> and they didn't give me a note. And then wow. I went to the studio. And I was like, please don't give me a note. Please don't give me a note. And it sailed through the studio too. No notes. So what ended up in the episode is is my editor's cut version <laughs> wow that's unbelievable what a win what a cool story that's so fun and i can't imagine i'm sure like it, it was like jenga that if you pulled one note there was one note it all fall apart yes yes that's crazy well congratulations on that um on that particular episode what is that time frame like how much like from start to finish on working on an, what that episode how long was that period of time 
Um, gosh, you know, for that particular one, they kind of did block shooting this last season. Um, so it's, it's a little harder to figure out the exact number of days, but typically they shoot for, you know, seven or eight days, nine, if it's huge, if it's a really big episode. Um, and, uh, as editors, we get uh, three days after the last day of dailies to finish our editor's cut. Um, and I usually take two of those days to really get the picture perfect. And then the third day to score everything, because, you know, as you know, music is a huge character in, in, in the show. So, so yeah, so it was, it was done pretty quickly. Um, wow. How many episodes were you typically working at the head in your mind at the same time? All of them? <laughs> All of them, yeah. Yeah, that happened to be the last episode uh, for me uh, of the season, um, or the series, actually. Uh, but uh, but usually, you know, the first one is always great because you have all the time in the world. Is you just have one, and then the second one starts to get a little like, oh, great. So now I have to balance notes. Your notes on one episode, you're starting dailies on another, and then, when, then another one comes in. So you're in different phases of notes on two episodes now and dailies on a third. So it just keeps, you know, kind of snowballing. Um, and, um, yeah, I mean, sometimes you can have four episodes just all, all open, and, and you've got to keep it straight. <laughs> When you look at like that culture and what uh, was successful about it, and you're looking at future projects, or you're, you know, uh, if a director is listening or producer is listening, what is the best way to collaborate with the editing team, the editor? What do you think? Like, what what advice would you have to that person as they're as they're working and starting a project? Oh, um, talk to the editor before you start shooting. <laughs> go through the script with them, um, you know, go through your shot list if you're comfortable sharing that. Uh, Cause you know, sometimes they can really help you avoid a, you know, a pitfall. And, um, and, you know, uh, I would just say have an open line of communication. You know, when I meet a director I haven't worked with on a series, um, I always introduce myself, give them my information and say, Hey, if there's anything that you're concerned about after a day of shooting, give me a call, let me know. Um, and I can make sure I cut that scene for you first in, in the morning and then we can like talk about it, look at it and see if you need to reshoot or pick anything up. Um, and so I think, you know, line, open line of communication is very important. And um, yeah. And I think, uh, you know, when you're working together, it works best if, you know, again, it, it's, a, it's a collaboration. So just communicate. <laughs> yeah. And also I always recommend people bring like a book or a laptop because sometimes it takes a minute for the editor to execute a note and it might be kind of boring to watch them type away, you know? Yeah. That's um, good some advice. people are really fascinated by it, but others are just kind of like, okay, she's still pushing buttons. I don't know what she's doing. You know, so it depends on the person, but yeah, but typically I recommend they bring something to occupy themselves for the for the times that I am taking more than two minutes to <laughs> finish a note. What stories are you most drawn to? And whether that's, you know, if you're getting material, like what is it that attracts you to it? Oh, gosh, I, I love projects that have a blend of comedy and drama, because I feel like that's a little more relatable. Um, and really, I just I, I all I look for is a is a powerful story, you know, and characters that just really grab me um, and subject matter that speaks to me. And, you know, because if I love the script, it really, it really doesn't matter what genre it is yeah. or what studio it is or, you know, but, but yeah, ideally it's a, it's a great story that needs to be told and um, yeah, with great filmmakers. What, what makes a good reel when you're looking at another editor's work, what, 
do you see like, oh, they know what they're doing? Like, and, you know, I want to bring him in as my assistant. Like, what is it that you see in other people's work that you admire? Um, you know, I don't really look at reels very often. Um, the, the ones that I've seen, you know, I, I kind of look for rhythm pacing um, and like kind of what they're trying to, the story they're trying to tell. Um, sometimes editors will do these, what they call sizzle reels, and they're just like a fast, flashy montage. And, and that's great too. It's like, awesome. You can do a very cool looking snazzy piece. Um, but I think editing ultimately comes down to storytelling. And so whether it's, you know, storytelling through a flashy sizzle piece or storytelling by just say, here's a scene I've done that I'm really proud of. I mean, I think both of those are important and both of those are going to kind of basically present you in a light that you want to be known for. So, but honestly, like, I, I don't have a reel. I, a lot of my friends and colleagues don't have a reel yeah. <laughs> oftentimes because we're just too busy to do one. Um, and I, and I always tell people starting out, like I would spend more time networking, you know, trying to build um, your own tribe, if you will uh, meet people at industry events and, and like, spend, more, spend more time fostering friendships versus, you know, doing a reel. Because I, I think, I think the experienced editors know, like, the final product, it's rare when something is like a pure editor's cut, like the Mira scene. I mean, usually there's notes and notes and, you know, and yes, it's your right. interpretation of the notes. And so that's very much, you know, something that you, you know, magic sauce that you put in yourself. But, but yeah, the, the end product is rarely um, uh, a pure example of what you can deliver. When you're watching something, series or features recently in the last couple months has there been a, a scene that you saw that you just were just admired as from an editing point of view something that you're like well that was special oh my gosh yes i i recently and i'm a little late to the party but i i recently watched the movie pig mm-hmm. um i don't know if you've seen it but uh it's just so beautiful and heartbreaking and um i remember the dinner scene after you know nick cage and uh, Amir, I think is the, the character's name, the son, they cooked dinner for the father who was like this like hard ass. Um, and, you know, the taste of the food like brought them all back to the moment when they were all happy and when they ate at his restaurant. And it just, I mean, it, it was, I don't know if that was meant to make me cry, but I just like completely <laughs> broke down. Cause it was just so, it was so simply done and so elegant. And, uh, and it got the point across without, a lot of crazy cutting and I, I appreciate that so I, that was amazing I, I thought that was phenomenal what advice would you give yourself uh going back to your first year in this industry what advice would you tell yourself then oh gosh if I knew immediately that I wanted to edit out of college I would tell myself to look at the uh, America Cinema Editors Internship Program I did not know about this until I was like I don't know a long time in the industry and I remember thinking oh that would have been great because <laughs> they pair you up with, you know, like the people that are at the top of their field and you get to observe in a feature film room for a week in a t- episodic room for a week in a, you know, um, a documentary or a reality room for a week. And then you get to go and tour different facilities for a week. So, so wow. it really, <laughs> I had no idea. Yeah. Right. It's an amazing education and, um, and you get paid for it <laughs> and, you know, and, the connections that you make during that time is, is, is priceless. And so I wish I would have known about that, but of course, even if I did, I don't think I would have understood because I didn't know I wanted to be an editor back then. But if I did, if I, if I was like, yes, 
I'm, you know, I'm out of college. I want to be an editor. That's what I would do. Um, and then I think the next thing, the next advice would be like, you know, save as much money as you can keep your lifestyle modest because then you can really wait for the right project and shape your career in the direction that you want it to go in rather than like feeling like you have to take the first thing that's offered. Do you still paint? I paint walls <laughs> in my house. <laughs> <laughs> That's well, that counts. Painting is, I mean, are you very meticulous about it? Or do you take your time? They're very thorough. <laughs> I do. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. One day I will paint again. And, but, uh, but yeah, right now, um, I think, yeah, the way I paint, I guess, is with images. <laughs> the last question is, uh, what is your comfort food? Like when you've had a, a tough day, you're exhausted. What's the meal that like, allows you to like just like relax like it's like almost like a warm quilt like what is your comfort food mm, gosh well my favorite are chicken wings <laughs> mm. um but i think comfort food it's it's honestly it's probably a big bowl of soup <laughs> and it could be like you know ramen or miso or you know or gosh it could be anything it could be like broccoli cheddar soup <laughs> i mean it really it's could be soup. anything just warm soup <laughs> yeah that makes sense and uh what's your favorite wings place in la right now you know i i haven't found one i i like all of them <laughs> <laughs> there's a gosh there's a place that i uh order from i think i want to say it's palace seafood and dim sum or something on wilshire they have this um what do you call it it's like a salt and pepper chicken wing mm. that's phenomenal <laughs> classic <laughs> Yeah, the flavors yeah. are very unexpected. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate this opportunity to talk to you and uh, you've imparted so much wisdom. No, thank you for having me. As always, thank you for taking the time to listen to Smith Society. I'm extremely grateful. Thank you. <laughs>